Good morning and welcome to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your new host, the Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in to Worldwide KFUO, Christ for You, Anytime, Anywhere. There are so many ways you can listen in, either over the air, online at kfuo.org, or using your favorite podcasting app. That's right. In fact, I just discovered this myself. Uh, search for a podcasting app, look for Thy Strong Word or any of KFUO's fine programs, and that'll get you started. Now, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or if there's anything else on your mind you'd like to share, I invite you to reach out to me via email. You can reach me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Now, we're grateful for the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, which sponsors Thy Strong Word. And you can support us by supporting the great work that they do. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. Well, today is Wednesday, August 10th, and we are continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Romans with chapter 1, verses 16 through 32. Now, yesterday we looked at Paul's introduction to this letter, but this morning we're going to begin with his thesis statement, that, that key teaching that he wants to communicate, and that's that the righteous live by faith. And then we'll look at what the Holy Spirit has to teach about God's wrath and what it means for the unrighteous. But to help us explore God's word and navigate these issues as they apply to our lives today, we are joined by the Reverend Jason Bredesen, who serves the saints at Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California. Pastor Bredesen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pastor Boo, and congratulations on uh, um, your new role there with uh, KFUO and Nice Strong Word. Well, thank you very much. I'm very excited. I've been a, a guest for a few years on the various programs. Uh, I'd like to consider myself a pretty good friend of most of the hosts, and uh, and Brady Finnern, who is now district president, um, I'm certainly wishing him the best in everything that he does, but I'm very excited to try to fill his shoes and the other great hosts that have come before me. Uh, but having great guests like you, anchor guests that have uh, been on the show before, certainly helps calm my nerves about it. But, uh, but you know, you and I have never met before. I'm regular listeners, I'm sure, have heard you on the program before. But for those who may be new, uh, share, share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my wife and I, Miranda, have been married 21 years. Uh, all of that for me has been enjoyable. I can't see the, say the same for Miranda. She's very <laughs> gracious and merciful to me, which I am grateful for. We have two kids, Ellie and Lucas, uh, who are in grade school and um, just just wonderful, wonderful kids. Uh, I serve, uh, as you mentioned, as pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church and have for nearly 15 years uh, there in downtown Sacramento. Um, I serve also as an Air Force Reserve chaplain. Uh, I am currently assigned to Hill Air Force Base in Ogden, Utah, where I go periodically uh, to serve in that vocation. I'm actually right now um, uh, speaking to you from uh, the Defense Language Institute in at the Presidio of Monterey here in California on the California coast. 
I I picked up an order over the summer months to serve the people here. It's it's a unique training environment. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, a lot of a lot of smart people who are going into intelligence, uh, specifically linguistics, and uh, they. Uh, they need your prayers. Uh, they they welcome them as uh, they go through their studies and prepare for the work that uh, our Department of Defense has for them, that our nation has for them. Uh, a lot of good, solid people here. We have much to to hope for in our nation. Well, that's you know that's amazing work, and it. I mean, we obviously need faithful people in in all levels of our military and serving the country. But I'm especially grateful for faithful Lutheran chaplains. You know, we, we certainly have a history in the Lutheran church of, of serving as chaplains to our military personnel, but really I think our, our view on the two kingdoms and our approach to the doctrine of vocation, uh, whether soldiers can be Christians, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I think that, that our perspective on what God has to say, uh, really is beneficial to, to yes, folks. you are very correct there. And the uh, the theological works that you cite there certainly undergird the work of the men of our church body who serve in uniform. Uh, and you're right, we um, we do serve a very fine purpose. Uh, the the men of of the uh, chaplain corps uh, for the various branches from our church body really serve well and faithfully. It's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of that body. Well, God bless you and God bless them. Now let's, uh, let's start into our text today. I, I'd like to read it in segments, but uh, before we get into these first two verses, verses 16 and 17, uh, is there anything that you'd like to sort of lead in about? You know, we've, we've already covered the first 15 verses, which is Paul's introduction, but basically how should we set up this next section? Well, I tell you what, you really uh, hit the nail on the head, Pastor Boo, when you mentioned that uh, what you have here in verses 16 and 17 is the thesis for the entire letter. Paul is really laying the foundation for everything. And uh, the, the uh, subjects, the, the, um, the, the pointed nature of the conversation about faith and righteousness will play out significantly throughout the book of, or throughout the letter to the Romans. Uh, it's, yeah, you were right to call it this, the thesis I have here in my notes that it's the key to the letter, but I think the, uh, thesis is more appropriate. <laughs> well, and I would also say that it is a, a foundation for how we see our faith. Let's just dive in. Then I'm going to be reading from the English standard version. So this is Romans chapter one, beginning with verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Take us into that. Well, uh, I think we... Um... We could probably spend about three weeks on this, uh, these couple of verses alone, uh, but we have uh, much more to get to. And with it serving really as the foundation, as the thesis for the letter, I have no doubt that you and your uh, guests will be 
developing it further throughout the entire study. Um, when when Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, uh, that really serves as a double negative, and it it really emphasizes the importance, uh, conveys the meaning of honor. Paul is honored uh, to be able to proclaim the gospel. Uh, it is a um, a position of honor, a, a a role, a vocation that is very honorable to him. Uh, earlier, as as uh, was reflected yesterday, Paul reflects that he is a slave to Christ, and um, and yet in that slavery, in that um, that vocation, it is not a labor uh, or a chore, but it really a privilege and an honor. Well, I think uh, that makes sense because you bring out how he says, I am not ashamed. And we mm-hmm. might think, well, why doesn't he just say, I'm honored to be a minister for the gospel? Why does he use that negative construction? And I guess what I'm thinking, and 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 yeah, help explain this to me, but I'm thinking that, yeah, this probably has something to do with the fact that being a slave to this gospel, well, being a slave is something to, well, even in that time, to be ashamed of. It's not the position of power. It's not the position of authority. But he's not ashamed because the power is not in him but in that, in that word. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I like it. Uh, you know, especially as we go further into the, the language of Romans 1, where shame really comes to the forefront. And in an honor-shame context uh, culture that, that Paul is writing to in Rome, he's really pulling in the cultural aspects of, look, I am not ashamed. I am honored. I am privileged to be able to proclaim this great, glorious, good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the, when you counter that with the the language of shame and shamefulness that that will come up later in the chapter, uh, it, it really makes clear that that Paul loves what he has been called to. Um, you know, Pastor Boo, as as a pastor, it truly is a a joy and a privilege to be able to be called by God to to proclaim the the great mercy of Christ. Well, it's a kalu ergu, right? A noble work. And I don't know of any pastor that doesn't say that he is just not only floored by the responsibility, just just looking at the fact that God has called him to do this kalu ergu, to do this good work, and feeling so unworthy, yet so honored to mm. be able to be in that position. With that said, it makes me wonder, you know, if Paul were writing this today, I don't think he would change that construction. I think this idea that people are somehow ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of being Christians. You know, we think of Christianity perhaps in accordance with its heyday in the 50s and 60s in America, but Paul is experiencing a lot of what we're experiencing today, and that is that Christianity is not something that's looked upon favorably, either by society or, in Paul's case, by Jews who see themselves as the chosen people and see Gentiles as those who are encroaching on what's rightfully theirs. So this shame and honor, um, I think we, we wrestle with today, too. 
how do you see applying this text to the people today, the people out there right now who are saying, you know, I, it's not that I'm ashamed, but I just, I'm nervous to talk about the gospel to my friends. I, I don't want to talk about it at work because I might get in trouble or my family. I just, I would rather just get along with them than, than talk about the gospel, even if they do believe genuinely that it's the power of God for salvation. What, what comfort do we give them? Yeah, you know, that's an excellent question. And uh, I think uh, what what we're faced with really in terms of a culture that really does not want to hear us. I mean, what are the two things you don't bring up in polite conversation, religion and politics? Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, as people who are called by Christ in the waters of holy baptism to rejoice in the faith, to rejoice in that beautiful gospel that he has given to us, uh, how can we not but speak? Uh, we have uh, my staff here at DLI, the Defense Language Institute. Uh, a young man, actually a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod um, individual who is retraining into the chaplain corps as a religious affairs airman, what, what used to be our chaplain assistant, uh, career field. And, and I shared with him the other day, as he gets ready to go to class, look, the department of defense, even if they don't recognize it, needs you to be a man of God, a man of faith and to keep godly and scriptural language at the forefront, you know, do it with gentleness and respect, but don't ever be afraid to, um, to use the language of God and Jesus and scripture in your uh, carrying out of your duties as a religious affairs airman. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to follow this young man's uh, life and career as he embarks upon his work in the chaplain corps. He's, he's not a chaplain. He's going to be a chaplain assistant, but uh, we have uh, any number of, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod members who uh, who continue their work in um, in both the officer and enlisted corps in the military. Nice, it's, they're good people, and it's great to see them living out their faith in ways that uh, um, that really help to support and encourage to uh, not be ashamed of the gospel. Well, and the great thing about what uh, chaplains and chaplain assistants or religious affairs airmen, what, what all these folks do and what we're all called to do is that we aren't just to spread the gospel. You know, we're not, our job isn't to go out and find Lutherans wherever they may be found, but to share the power, this powerful gospel uh, so that it can save everyone who has been given faith in it. And so, and that's what this text says, you know, and I know we could spend so much time, but when he says, for salvation to everyone who believes, but then he makes this sort of caveat to the Jew first mm -hmm. and then also to the Greek. Where is that coming from? Well, I think, uh, you know, the promise that we will hear this coming Sunday in the um, lectionary is that the promise was given to Abraham. He is the father of the faith. And uh, of course, Jesus himself was a son of Israel and, uh, the, uh, by God's wisdom, he 
chose to reveal the gospel to all people, not just uh, those in Israel, not just uh, the Jews, but to all people. But he chose to do it through the uh, the Israel Israelite nation. Uh, now it is uh, abundantly clear that we, as the goyim, uh, the the nations, uh, the Gentiles too, have received um, the gospel. Right? Uh, the um, it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Uh, Pastor Boo, that includes you and me. Yep. Thank God. You know, it's yes. no doubt. There's no question, you know, salvation is from the Jews. You know, the scriptures are clear. But the Jews at that time needed to hear that it's from the Jews, right? It comes through the lineage of, you know, Abraham all the way to Jesus, but not to the Jews only. God has mm-hmm. always had in mind the the people of the world. The Jews were to be a priesthood to the others. And so now we see Paul, he's tackling this task of reaching out to also the Greek, and he makes this distinction. He quotes Habakkuk and says, the righteous shall live by faith. How would a Jew of the first century heard that, and how do we we understand it to, to, to be applicable to our lives today? Yeah, do you mind if I back up just a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, you can take yeah. control. <laughs> uh, this is your host, Pastor Jason Bredesen. No, uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> I'll go take a break, and I'll right, yeah. grab a cup of I coffee. You know, I want you to. I want. Yeah, I absolutely want you to. Yeah, I don't want to push. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I wanted to talk about the this notion of the good news, uh, the gospel. Um, whenever the subject comes up in my congregation, I, I usually throw out a, a pop quiz to the congregation. I said, what's the, I say, what's the gospel? And of course everyone says, Oh, it's the good news. And I say, well, I have a lot of good news, right? The sun is shining today. It's, it's a beautiful day. Um, or, you know, whatever, whatever is at hand, I have good news. My son got a lizard on Saturday and that's good news for him. But what specifically is this gospel? this good news and that it is, uh, the, the free gift of God in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is received by faith and, uh, is entirely a free gift. Uh, we do not, uh, warrant anything, uh, for it. It is God's free gift to us. And the, the significance of Paul, using that word, the oiangelion, the gospel, when he's writing to people in Rome, because the Romans would have recognized that word, the gospel, in relation to their emperor. The good news, the oiangelion, the gospel, was proclaimed at the birth of an upcoming emperor. It was proclaimed at the coming of age of an emperor, and it was especially proclaimed as an emperor accessed to his throne and really what it conveyed the the significance that it conveyed was to introduce a new era which would bring peace to the people of rome and what paul's doing here in romans 1 16 and 17 is he's saying look 
you may be thinking that the gospel is uh, about your emperor, but I am here to tell you, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the emperor of emperors, right? The king of kings and lord of lords. And it is in him that the eternal gospel is found, the eternal uh, gift of God. And so um, the the people in Rome who are hearing this are are really in tune to that word gospel, and they are having it redefined right before them uh, to to recognize that look, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. Uh, but that's uh, but that's pretty dangerous for him to do, isn't it? It it's it's rather bold. It definitely is. Yeah, and he continues in that theme uh, of really calling the church in Rome to account and say, look, Jesus is our Lord, not the emperor of Rome. Uh, and uh, it, it takes a pretty significant direction. And keep in mind that Romans was written uh, in the very early years of uh, the emperor Nero, uh, really before he went on his tirade against Christians. But uh we certainly uh, know how Nero treated those uh, those who expressed the Christian faith. He was not kind to them. And here Paul is writing this in the early years of his reign. Now, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's important for us to understand that, um, just as I said earlier, Christians are not in this favored position, either in front of the Romans uh, or the government or even in front of the Jews. So he he's you know, dangerously and boldly redefining Oyangelion to be focused on the true God King, who is Jesus Christ. Um, and then he also talks about the necessity of faith for salvation, perhaps over and against good works, which even Gentiles would have been catechized into if they were to come into the Jewish faith. They would have said, okay, well, now here's the law of Moses and salvation for you is about keeping the law of Moses, especially since you're not of the chosen people. And so then we kind of get back to how, yeah, from Habakkuk, he points mm. out the righteous shall live by faith. You know, I'm not making this up. This is in the Old Testament, so to speak. Yeah. I said that, of course. But, you know, the righteous shall, I'm looking at scripture and I'm telling you that they're, the true God King is Jesus and righteousness comes from faith in that king, not faith in the emperor, not in your genealogy, but it is salvation for everyone who believes. Yeah, you're spot on there. Uh, in his quote of Habakkuk 2.4, Paul is making clear that God is consistent from the very first day of creation all the way up until the return of Christ, and he functions to give us his righteousness which is received by faith. Of course, this uh, very significant quote from Habakkuk, uh, Luther latched onto at the onset of the Reformation. And uh, what that looks like for us today, I think you asked the question earlier, how are we to really grasp hold of and, and appreciate this in our lives today? And, and that's that... Uh, Righteousness is not something that we do or don't do. It is God who grants it to us, and we simply receive it by faith. The 
the truth of the gospel is so significant that it is utterly undeserved and and yet god in his grace and mercy just gives it in abundance to us uh the only reason we are righteous as god's people is because uh jesus says so thanks be to god absolutely Absolutely. Anything else before we move into our break here in just a few minutes? You know, we have the first two verses, which I, we've already acknowledged we could spend so much time on. Um, we do have 14 more verses to go, <laughs> which we'll pick up after the break. But instead of getting into that, because we just have a few minutes, um, anything else about this introductory part? Because we're going to be shifting from speaking about this sort of very positive, good news, gospel message that the righteous shall live by faith. And then it takes a pretty sour turn. Mm-hmm. So anything else before we make that turn? Yeah, uh, you know, in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It can be a bit of a confusing construction. And what is not reflected in the English is that uh, that what this is referring to is God's faithfulness, again, which is received by the faith that he grants to us. Um, God is faithful above all else. And even when our faith is as small as a mustard seed, uh, we're still, or he is still able to move the mountains uh, because faith is not quantitative in terms of how we exercise it, but it's qualitative in terms of the one, the quality as it were of the one in whom our faith relies and God is faithful above all else. That's right. God's faithfulness is key. The one in whom we have our faith is what's in focus. We are going to take our break. I am Pastor Phil Boo and joining me this morning is the Reverend Jason Bredesen of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California. After the break, we're going to return and we're going to pick up with verse 18 in Romans chapter 1. See you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. We are exploring Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 32. But we are through the first two verses in the first half of the show, and so now the rest of the 14 verses we're going to tackle in the next half. I am joined graciously by Pastor Bredesen, who is from Sacramento, California, or is serving in Sacramento, California. He is also a chaplain in the Air Force Reserves, and we've been having a great conversation so far about God's thesis verse, which is that the righteous shall live by faith. But we're going to keep going, and I'm going to read verses 18 through through 23. 
and then we'll we'll tackle those verses. Here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We'll take a pause there and see if we can dig into this text. Pastor Bredesen, uh, pick it up at verse 18. Well, <laughs> it is definitely a shifting of gears, isn't it? Going from that great, glorious, good news of Jesus that we just heard in verses 16 and 17 to uh, the wrath of God. Uh, humanity is really receiving a pretty clear and painful rebuke in these words. Uh, we are without excuse. We have no standing before God because of uh, the ungodliness and unrighteousness that was brought in by Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, there's no hope. There is no hope for humanity outside of Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, the wrath of God is made utterly clear to us through the creation. Um, God in his creation has made himself known and, uh, we can't worm our way out of it. We can't weasel our way out from under the clear revelation that creation gives us. Absolutely. I mean, he, he does. He shifts to this wrath, but then he talks about the fact that you say we're without excuse, and what's being suppressed by unrighteousness is the truth. Mm -hmm. It just gives me the idea that out there in the ether, out there in creation, um, people should be able to recognize that there is a God, perhaps not who that God is, but that there is a God. In fact, I don't know that there's any culture that has ever existed that hasn't believed in a higher power or God or gods or, or something. They just know that God or something is out there. And it's going to take God's revelation, of course, for us to find out who that is. But is that what Paul is talking about here, this idea that God is plain to them because his invisible attributes are clearly perceived in creation? That's exactly what he's saying. And, and you're right, the unique revelation of Jesus Christ is something that must be proclaimed as without the hearing of that word, uh, we will not receive faith. Uh, so... Yeah, the, the natural revelation that creation gives to us certainly proclaims that there is a God and that he is above all else, right? Almighty, um, the, the invisible attributes, eternal power and divine nature. 
Um, but the gospel of Jesus must be proclaimed uh, if it is to be heard and received. Uh, but yeah, that's basically what he's saying, Pastor Boo, is the creation makes known that there's a God, we're not him, and we must bear account to him. We are accountable to him. So there is this idea which I like to call Oprahism. <laughs> uh, back in the day when Oprah uh, was a little more relevant, she had on her <laughs> – yeah, she's kind of fallen off the radar. But she had on her program um, someone who was talking about faith. And she had said something to the fact – and of course, I, I don't want to quote her because my memory is sometimes terrible. But, but it t she said basically something to the effect of – um, I can't believe that if someone on the other side of the world uh, who doesn't know about Jesus, who's never heard about Jesus, and yet does all the things God would want them to do, i.e. they're a good person, that just because they didn't know about Jesus, that they wouldn't be saved. It's this idea of the anonymous Christian, someone who does Christian things even though they don't know anything about Christ, or this works righteousness idea that somehow if you're a very good person, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you, you'll be fine because, you know, God's going to obviously let you in because you're a good person. So in this text, he says that people are without excuse in terms of knowing that there's a God and does that speak to, or how does that speak, I should say, to this idea that, oh, well, as long as you're really good, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you know, God's not going to not gonna keep you out of eternal life. Does that speak to that? I think it does. I, I agree. I, you know, um, the, that's certainly a very popular notion these days. Uh, and probably many people, even in our own pews, would reflect that understanding uh against the teaching, clear teaching of scripture. I think there, you know, verse 18, what, what you refer to in, uh, the guest that Oprah had on when she was more relevant. I love that, <laughs> uh, is, uh, is the, that is an unrighteous individual who is suppressing the truth. Um, there in verse 18, that, uh, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Um, so yeah, that's the, the popular notion of a vague and nebulous understanding of God and faith and, uh, just very vanilla Christianity or, or even just spirituality, right? I'm spiritual, but not religious right. is a suppression of the truth and is rooted in ungodliness. Well, and in verse 22, you know, it speaks, it says, claiming to be wise, that is, you know, oh, I'm enlightened. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not so foolish to think that there's only one way to God. So they claim to be wise, but they became fools. And in the context of Paul, he's saying they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And we think of some of these concrete idols that people worshiped and people today still worship concrete idols. How are these idols, however, been, how have they been reinterpreted in today's world? Certainly there are people who have exchanged the glory of the immortal God. And that word exchange is very key. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for things that have been 
or basically the creator for the creatures. How is that going on today? How do you see that in your ministry, trying to minister to people who put their faith, hope, and trust in things other than God? Yeah, you know, we've been looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer in the small catechism. And of course, just recently we had Luke's representation of that or teaching of that uh, in the gospel reading from a couple of Sundays ago. And I I joke with my um, parishioners that, you know, I continue to pray in Jesus' name for a Porsche. I want a beautiful, deep, midnight blue Porsche to be able to drive around. I even promised the congregation that I would give them rides in it. And uh, there are... uh, Name it and claim it, brother. Name it and claim it. That's right. I I was given a a Hot Wheel of a blue Porsche at Christmas once a couple of years ago. (laughs) Um, uh, I, I was very appreciative, but it was too small to drive in. So, <laughs> so I'm still waiting uh, uh, and hoping that one of these Christmases, my congregation will be kind and generous enough to grant them. Trinity, uh, if you're listening, go ahead and uh, uh, start uh, start giving. Start to go for it. <laughs> um, you've known that for years. Uh, and uh, I, I think, you know, I think, gosh, uh, idolatry is something we're all prone to. Of course. Um, I idolize the the beautiful, rich, midnight blue Porsche. Uh, we can idolize any number of things. Uh, you know, in our day and age, it's not typically carved out stone or wooden objects. Uh, but how many of us worship Netflix? Yeah. Uh, as uh, as the economy continues to struggle, how many of us are uh, worshiping our IRAs or our 401ks? Um, there are any number of things that our hearts are drawn to that would not um, be godly uh, or reflect the righteousness that God has given to us. And think about it in terms of what Paul's saying, right? The he begins this letter by saying that he is a slave, not a not a master, but a slave to Christ, but that he's not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel has the power of God. But then he contrasts that with the fact that people have exchanged the glory of the immortal God, which, to be fair, comes later, usually, right? We don't see God isn't looking down you know, throwing a bone. Well, you know, Pastor Bredesen has been very faithful. So I'm going to give him a, I'm going to go ahead and give him that Porsche. It's going to be red though, to keep him humble, but I'm going to give him a Porsche. But no, God says that you're the, you'll see the fullness of your salvation when Christ returns. But then how many people in the world today, if you were to say, would you rather have the glory of the immortal God or a Porsche? Would you rather have confidence in knowing that you are going to be with God forever, but until then life's going to have trials and tribulations, or would you rather be a billionaire with no worldly troubles, so to speak? And that's the trouble about idols is that they don't produce the things for which we covet. And then that's the thing about covetousness is we always aren't sad. We, we were never satisfied. We always, we get what we want perhaps, but then there's something better just around 
the corner. And so that's what these people are doing. They're exchanging, I think, the idea of an immortal God that's not as tangible for things that are tangible. I can look at a bird. I can see animals. I can create a statue or I can check my 401k or I know how much my job pays me. And so those are the things I'm going to put my faith, hope and trust in. And that's just, that's not right, right? That's suppressing the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in verse 24, just moving on a little bit, he writes, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, which he's going to explain in a minute, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, I had some parishioners come to me after Bible study and ask me about the environmentalist movement. Mm. Um, politically, they have some opinions about things like global warming and, and you know, electric cars and all sort of the hot topics of the day. And, you know, there are lots of different political approaches to this. But, you know, from the Christian's point of view, we should be at the forefront of taking care of the creation. But where does taking care of creation cross over into worshiping the creation? And that's kind of where that, that conversation went. Mm -hmm. And I see that going on a little bit here, right? We're exchanging the truth about God and his promises, and we serve rather than the creator, the things that have been made. Do you see that too? Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's interesting about the language that Paul is using here with the, with the three times in the next several verses, he, he uses the, uh, the language of humanity exchanging the truth about God for lies, exchanging uh, natural rela sexual relations for uh, aberrant sexual relations. And, and that, that language of humanity exchanging is countered by God giving over humanity to their the lusts of their flesh, to the the falsities that uh, are uh, are being given. You know, we pray in the Lord's prayer, "Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." And uh, as humanity continues their pursuit of their own will, it's almost as if God in in the well-known words of uh, C.S. Lewis, is basic. God is basically saying, "You won't stomach my will, so okay, thy will be done." And the way that he phrased this is aberrant sexuality really reflects uh, a uh, a consequence of the sin of idolatry, right? Um, it is it is a a one to one correlation. If if you are idolatrous, it will essentially result in aberrant human sexuality. Wow, see that's very fascinating. I'm just meditating on what you said because we have this seeking after you know worldly pleasures, and then the most carnal, natural thing that God has given us is to be fruitful and multiply, which involves, you know, appropriate sexuality. But the perversion of even worshiping the creation rather than the creator, if I hear you correctly, you're saying that, that that's embodied, the epitome of that is found in the aberration of sexual behavior, which which is God's gift and means of of 
procreation for keeping up the the world, um, not only do we see a literal exchange of natural relations to those that are contrary, which we'll get into, but we see a disrespect of the family, a disrespect of children. Um, obviously, with things like abortion and living together outside of marriage and the redefining of what it means to be married, um, the culture really wants to take what is natural from God and recreate it in their own image. Now, just just moving on, I'm going to tack on two more verses so that we can just keep talking. Uh, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, which is what you're saying. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in them the due penalty for their error. So. That is not a verse that is going to sit well with the world. How do we reach them with Christ's love and the power of the gospel? You know, uh, that is something that we need to uh, ever be prayerful and considering. And I think key to, to how we go about that proclamation, standing firm in the truth and yet reaching out in love is, uh, is twofold. Number one, I think it's important to re reflect where Paul in writes to the Corinthians that sins of a sexual nature take on a, a different, um, uh, uh, you know, every sin is uh, damnable in God's eyes. But as Paul reflects writing to the Corinthians that every other sin a man commits he commits outside of himself, but the sins of the body, the sins of, of sexuality is, uh, there's just something significant about that. Uh, and as he reflects here in Romans one, it really ends up being a, uh, a consequence for the, the great, the, the sin of idolatry. Um, how do we proclaim the truth of God, uh, in, with, with regard to human sexuality and God's purposes for it while still um, being faithful. Uh, this is something that my congregation has had to wrestle with at great length. We're right on the edge of uh, the neighborhood in Sacramento called Lavender Heights. And let's just say there are no hills. Um, the Lavender Heights neighborhood is the homosexual neighborhood um the greater sacramento area and um my work here at trinity began in 2008 uh just as we were considering um legalizing uh homosexual marriage and uh, the challenges are ever before us uh and i i think uh you know being consistent i think you know speaking about the um the natural revelation of God in creation is significant here. Uh, you know, it's, it simply is not a healthy lifestyle to, to express human sexuality outside of the bounds of marriage. And that I would argue very much includes, um, heterosexual sin, 
this is, you know, Paul really reflects clearly on homosexual sin here. But one of the things I think that, that we in the church need to remember, number one, is that righteousness, our righteousness, is a gift from God. It is given to us. It's not something that we do or don't do. We have no claim on it in and of ourselves. And then the other thing is that, uh, that we in the church uh, really have um, turned a blind eye to heterosexual sin within our own bodies, within our own churches, uh, while, while reflecting negatively against homosexual sin that is not uh, in the congregation necessarily. Uh, and I think it just simply makes an easy target, uh, because homosexuality is not something I wrestle with, uh, but heterosexuality is, and, uh, and I want to keep that hush hush. Uh, and, uh, so I think consistency in our proclamation of law and gospel within our own congregational life is, is going to be important moving forward and uh and letting conversation be had with those in our communities regarding homosexuality well and i really love what you said about consistency because you're absolutely right one of the biggest criticisms of christians from non-christians is that we are hypocritical and sometimes by that they just mean that we preach against sin and we're also sinners, but you know, that's inherent to our message. Unfortunately, we do struggle with sin, but a congregation that is not openly repentant of their own sins, it doesn't openly identify concerns that face you're right. Not just focusing on them out there, but also what we struggle with in here. And while Paul is certainly focusing on sexual sins and for the reasons that you've so aptly discussed, he doesn't just leave it there either. In these final verses, he says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know, though they know, pardon me, God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When I've preached this in the past, I point out that if you think this is just about homosexual sins, you can probably find yourself in that list somewhere or multiple places. Because I know yeah. I can. I know right. I can. You, are you saying that gossip is a thing in the church? Well, I, I, I now listen, I haven't gossiped, but we see, we just <laughs> call it, we call it news. And being from down <laughs> south, as long as you follow it up with bless their heart, it's not gossip. It's just concern. As long as you couch it as a prayer request, it's okay, right? Correct. 
That's right. <laughs> but but right, we we are found in that list. Yes, I do believe that the Bible is very specific against um, homosexual behavior, which, if anything, should tell us that what we see going on in our culture today is nothing new. Mm -hmm. um, and we should still approach those folks with the love of Christ and the knowledge that he can free them from those sinful temptations. But just like you said, we absolutely cannot ignore the fact that we have sins of our own. And I think that that uh, brings up a, a very, very good point. So the last verse says they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I think that describes the world. In just the last few minutes here, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, just sort of wrap this up for us. What's the take home for us today? We've talked about what it meant to the people back then. We've talked a little bit about what it means to us today, but what's, what's really the take home from this passage? Boy, you know, as we've wrestled with these verses, it's, it's so important for us as God's people in Christ to rejoice in the great gift that is the gospel and the unwarranted free gift of his righteousness, which alone saves us. Uh, and to let that humble us, be, be hu uh, show great humility uh, as we rejoice in that great gospel, which is free gift to us. And to... Um, you know, as as you continue this study in Romans, as you turn the page to Romans 2, uh, Paul really kind of gets after the church uh, in Romans 2 by saying, hey, you're no better than uh, than those who we've just talked about in Romans 1, and, and you ought not get haughty. Uh, hop off your high horse and recognize that the only reason that you are where you are in the church of Jesus Christ is by his grace and that alone, right? But for the grace of God, there go I is essentially where Paul is going to go next. And so for, for us as Christians in the church to, um, to be haughty or arrogant or proud over and against the people of the world and not have our hearts break uh, and and to be earnest in prayer for those who find themselves in the unrighteousness of um, Romans 1, uh, that's where we're wrong. Uh, we need to repent of that and really rejoice again in the great free gift of the gospel and the, the gift that is his righteousness and, and really hurt for those who find themselves under the thumb of the devil uh, and their flesh and the brokenness of the world and, uh, and be earnest in prayer, holding fast to the truth and proclaiming clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ, which alone saves, uh, and, um, hurt for the, the community, pray for the community and, uh, desire their salvation as well. Pastor Bredesen, thank you so much for being on Thy Strong Word today. Would you conclude with uh, just a short prayer before we, before we finish our program? Yes, thank you. Holy Father, you grant us the great gift of the gospel in your Son, Jesus Christ, and we are ever grateful. Bless and keep us according to your promise, and may our light ever shine before men, that they may see our good works and glorify you, 
and we pray for our communities, especially those entrapped in the, the foolishness of their own lives and hearts, that they too would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed and repent and receive uh, by faith the righteousness of Christ, that we may ever um, live out uh, through all of eternity in uh, the, the peace that you bring through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, you've been listening to Thy Strong Word on Worldwide KFUO. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and my guest today has been the Reverend Jason Bredesen, to whom I am eternally grateful for being on, and I look forward to having him back on. I'm sure he will in the future. God's peace and blessings to you. Join us tomorrow at the same time as we continue our study of Romans with chapter 2. Mm-hmm.